This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! It's Friday! Oh, a day on which we're still dancing in the streets! Socially distanced dancing. After yesterday's sweet, sweet news that the Premier League plans to return. Yes, people, we're going to hear this again. Welcome inside our Premier League studio. Rebecca Lowe, Carl Martino and Robbie Musto on Saturday morning duty for you. The key is starting... Like you, I experienced a range of emotions when I read the story. A Jägermeister-infused cocktail of ecstasy, relief and anticipation so overpowering. They were barely dented by the accompanying instant realisation that if Arsenal managed that flute victory over an unready, underprepared, unmotivated, unfit Manchester City, Liverpool will then face up to Everton and could win the title. Asterisk. In fact, I'm sure they will. In fact, this, or something like it, is inevitably going to happen. A wild volley from Van Dijk. It's awkward, and he bounces off the crossbar. you fabulous bastard, you. Not gonna lie. Would bite your arm off to watch even that. Which is a testament to the unfathomable extent to which I have missed Premier League football. Even as I say that, I know that I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the pangs of guilt which accompany it. You know, to celebrate the return of sport that even Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp has acknowledged his quote, the most important, least important thing against a backdrop of our world. Global chaos, 100,000 American deaths, unparalleled unemployment, widespread hunger, suffering, and the anguish in Minneapolis emanating out across our nation, which breaks our hearts. What I've realised over the past 11 weeks is that sport has always been a release for me. A magical world, a fantasy world away from our own. One which nourishes and sustains me, even more so amidst lockdown life, which is surreal and paralysing. Who amongst us hasn't experienced terrible downs and fought to retain a sense of forward progress, motion, optimism, positivity? Right now, to compartmentalise is to survive. At the same time, though, it's crucial we don't detach ourselves from the real world. So my wish is let's stay present. Let's commit to doing all we can to fight the darkness and the suffering that surround us. And then turn to the sports we love to sustain us and give us strength in that fight. 
Your questions also sustain us. The rest of this show is going to be focused on the Premier League, its return, and the questions you have as a result, as well as some baby naming strategies. Quick note before we dive in, I couldn't be more excited to say this. Our Dominic Calvert-Lewin special will air tomorrow, Saturday at 11.30am Eastern Time on NBCSN. You know, to me, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the embodiment of all that is good about Everton Football Club. He's humble, hardworking, he truly believes in the collective. But this season, he's transcended all of that and become one of the most potent goal scorers in the Premier League. That journey to success is inspirational because the tenacity that it required. It's been a huge delight to sit down with DCL, revisit each of the life lessons he's learned along the way, as well as quick detours into his abs and off-white dunks. We talk with the man himself, Everton's number nine, tomorrow. Our Men in Blazers, Dominic Calvert-Lewin special, 11.30am Eastern Time, NBCS. And please, please tune in. It was a brutal piece of production. Brilliantly done. But my Lord, editing remotely for producer J-Dubs in quarantine is... Oh, that is a piece of work. So spread the word. And a sting, please. Producer Jonah. Marcus Ricci of Seattle, Washington, bald and funky, coincidentally also the name of John Joe Shelby's forthcoming autobiography. Let's just say, your sting arrived in my inbox at 6am this morning. I can't thank you enough for giving me the energy to push through this awful day. This is WGFOP The Bald, 646-359-9472. Call now. you got massive questions. I got the bald truth. Question one, batters up. Hey, Raj. My name is Daniel from Phoenix, Arizona. I am an Arsenal fan and Phoenix Rising fan and a newly minted Werder Bremen fan. I just finished watching the Borussia Dortmund documentary on Amazon, and I really liked the episode where Jurgen Klopp talks about how he celebrated winning, drank so much that he ended up in a truck bed in a huge factory yard, and ran into the CEO of Dortmund and had to pay 200 euros to get a ride from a man with chickens in his car. My question is, how hard do you think he's going to celebrate once Liverpool are finally declared champions, and will he be able to top that celebration? Thanks for taking my call. Courage. Daniel from Phoenix, my lord, that Jurgen Klopp night of nights when Liverpool win the title, asterisk, is going to be a bender, the likes of which would only have been seen in history before. I imagine if Diego Costa, Miguel Herrera and Ashlyn Harris went out together on the lash, my lord, the second the final whistle goes when Liverpool do win the title, it's going to be... Just maniacal levels of celebration. Liverpool, I know you're listening. Please surround Jürgen's technical area with some of your blow-up dummies you use for training free kicks. 
So at least Jurgen will have something sanitary to tackle when Shakiri pokes home that league clincher. Oh, in case you hadn't heard, here's the news. The Premier League set to resume on June 17th. What's that? 18 more sleeps. 100 days after it was forced to pause by COVID-19. The league still got to wait for government sign-off. It's coming. And hope then that Britain can continue to hold off the virus. But what was astonishing to me, when you look at the flow of this fairly frantic, chaotic decision-making at yesterday's Zoom shareholders meeting, was just how uncontentious it seemed when it all went down. I'm old enough to remember early May, the fractious debates, which just have fallen away as the Bundesliga fired up again, providing proof of concept and the league told the bottom six, somebody's going to be relegated even if we don't play. Oh, that showed them. And then scientific research let the players know that training was a minimal health threat. If everything goes to plan, Premier League football will surge back into our loving arms with those two games in hand left over from March. Aston Villa against Sheffield United. Manchester City against Arsenal. A full slate of games will then kick off the weekend June 19th to 21st. Headlining those matches, yep, the Merseyside derby, a.k.a. Everton shot victory. Prepare the can we play every game behind closed doors chant, lads. And the gem of the weekend, Rebecca Lowe, restoring a sense of normality to our weary hearts and minds. Brace yourself, the games will come thick and fast. 92 Premier League matches scattered over 39 days, really packed into 39 days to make sure the league concludes before August the 2nd. The planned list of kickoff times is is crazy. I think it's five separate kickoff times just on Saturdays alone. Oh, we are in for a feast after this famine and we might need more than just two Robbies. From two Robbies to question two. So, Rog, this is Ed Barnes, living in New York, Arsenal fan. Here's my question for you. Who are the players that maybe have struggled under pressure from fans in the past but coming back to an environment with no fans are maybe going to thrive? Who's going to be better now that they're not playing in front of fans? Pepe is one of them. I'm sure there are others. Anyway, bye. Ed! Oh, home advantage. Oof, that is a thing of a bygone era. A victim of closed-door games. In the olden days, studies showed that home games were won by the hosts 46% of the time across Europe. But so far in the Bundesliga, there have only been five home victories in 27 Bundesliga ghost games. And what does that mean? for the individual players, the lack of the adrenaline provided by fans and that instant accountability loop provided by the cheers and the wanker signs and everything in between, that is a game changer. Weston McKinney came on our show and talked about it. He said, ultimately, it's up to the players and he predicted that you will find out who the great self-motivators are in this kind of environment. The guys who care only about winning, the most competitive, they are the ones that will thrive. Your Hendos, your Vardys, your Harry Canes, your Kantes, if he plays. I mean, this also will favour the younger, rawer players who put themselves under such pressure and can crumble when the crowd get on the back. Look at the career arc of Ross Barkley, who you could argue... His journey so far has been derailed by it, especially in an Everton jersey. 
you could see Ross's decision-making Volta in his later days, whenever he took the ball. You can almost see him wince and second-guess himself when he took possession. Those kind of players are going to feel more confident. They can try things out, less scared of making mistakes, less scared of being punished by thousands of fans getting on their back. And they're going to presumably get a nice run in because of fixture congestion, because of their fitness, going to be a lot of playing time. Please God for the likes of Moisey Keane. He's the first one that came to mind. He's going to be banging them in. He is perfectly made for this pandemic era football. After that, I think it's going to be good for the whole Spurs squad, at least for a couple of games, before Mourinho cracks the code on how to have his soap opera without a laugh track. Arsenal players also, my God, so happy for them, freed from the shackles of Arsenal fan TV. New life. And when you think of a single player who is going to love it most, who's going to adapt, who's going to thrive, this is literally James Milner's best case scenario. Temperature controls in the locker room, balls sanitised before they're brought back into play. Robotic levels of fitness encouraged. Muted celebrations. Oh, this man was made for Project Restart. He's a robot. Next question, please, nurse. Raj, this is Benji from Boston, Massachusetts, by way of Syracuse, New York, supporter of U.S. men and women's national teams, and whatever sides in the Prem happen to field Americans. Traditionally, this has been Fulham, but now it's Chelsea. My question is, has the pandemic actually been the sneaky best thing possible for our Yanks in the top flight? With Yedlin and Polistic set to return from injury purgatory, are you, like me, feeling a renewed optimism for the state of American soccer post-pandemic? Courage. Hello, Benji. Hello, Boston. I love your city. Great question. One of the joys of watching Bundesliga for me has been glimpsing young American talent get tons of playing time because... The Premier League, not so much. Yes, DeAndre Yedlin will be back. But his time, and this pains me to say this, is ticking away at Newcastle United. He used to be a regular this season, not so much. 12 appearances, just 772 minutes, plunging down the depth chart. Steve Bruce seems to treat DeAndre like a rancid piece of bacon. Oh, amazingly, DeAndre, this shocked me. 27 now. He is no young, raw prospect. He kind of is what he is as a product. And he's on quite a wage packet. So there's going to be a very complex, fascinating career decision for him ahead. In terms of Christian Pulisic, the good news is the adductor injury that kept him out of action since January has long healed slightly more complex part of the story is that our hero and saviour now has to prove himself all over again. That hat trick against Burnley feels like it was a decade ago and what a roller coaster of a first season Christian has had emotionally. The slow start, the exclamation point short burst of glory and then disappearing without a trace. He is going to have to dig deep into his vault of tenacity once again. Once again show he belongs at this level in this Chelsea squad with so many young options vying for playing time. And you can bet that the break has given Frank Lampard enough time to unearth 20 new babies that are now ahead of Hershey's finest in the pecking order, some of whom weren't even born when Christian made his Chelsea debut. Think about that. 
but we have a sting. W-G-F-O-P. The Bald. Crap Cat Meow Sting by Trey Jones. Oh, classics have nine lives. Keep sending us your stings. Keep sending us your questions. 646-450-9472. You know the number. Here's the next question. Hi, this is Taylor calling from St. Louis, Missouri. I was calling to ask about naming children after soccer players, especially when they have foreign-sounding names. My wife, who's Dutch, is very against the idea, particularly because St. Louis has some funny pronunciations. For instance, Gravois is pronounced Gravois. So she's very worried about that and just in addition to worry about naming kids after soccer players. So I was just calling to get your opinion. Thanks. Bye. What a question, Taylor. One that warrants a live GFOP call. Taylor! Hello. Oh, Taylor, mate, congratulations. Thank you. St. Louis, the land of toasted raviolis. Oh, who do you support? Chelsea. So you, you Chelsea-loving Missourian. And your wife have a child on the way, as they say in St. Louis, Mazel Tov. I'm trying to get the core of the problem right here. The two of you are talking names, but you're concerned that the people around you that you know and love would pronounce your children's names incorrectly if they've got footballer names. Is that essentially the issue? So let me clarify. We actually recently had our child. Oh my lord! <laughs> oh my lord! So your baby is just wumbling around on the floor, nameless. I, I wish, um, you know, when when the child's born, they give the dad the birth certificate, which yep. seems a very dangerous thing. I, <laughs> I threatened to, to just go with what I wanted. So how is baby Ross Barkley? <laughs> <laughs> baby Ross. <laughs> so which names did you consider? Take us through the naming process. Names you dreamt of. Like I wanted to name my first kid Houdini. My wife, oh, less keen. What was the name that you harbored deep inside it? So my favorite football player name was uh, Zenedine. <sighs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then I had... How would had... that have been pronounced in, uh, in St. Louis? Oh my God, I, I can only imagine. Zynodyne! Is there a Zynodyne here? Something like that, yeah. Yep. Zenadine did not happen. Did no. you think more practically? Did you like go from like the, the exotic Zynodyne to like Phil Jones? <laughs> it did not work my way down to Phil Jones. Your wife, was she chiming back in with names of her own, of just iconic figures who've loomed large and just shaped her worldview? She wanted to go with Theo. That, that, is a, that is a child that would burn so brightly, have success after success, almost too easily, would come effortlessly. Just when you turn around to announce that it's your future, your true heir, it would just wilt and it would find itself in the north of England, utterly miserable, covered in tats and wondering how the hell it got there. I vetoed that one. So we've got a sense. We've got the Ross Barkley. We've got the Zinedan on one side. Oh, we've got the... Theo slash Louis Van Gaal's on the other. Tell us where we where we come out at. I'm, we I'm dying here. 
came out with uh, Marion, which is non-football related. Was this a boy or a girl? Uh, it ended up being a girl. Oh, that is a beautiful name. Did you think at one point maybe Rapino? Ooh, that was good. Uh, we did not, but that's a good one. Maybe, maybe for the next one. Oh, baby Rapino. I will tell you this, Taylor. When we had a baby four times and we drew up our list of names, and I took whatever name it was. My wife and I have very different taste in names. Like my names were genuine. I wanted to call one baby Tony Hibbert. My wife, she loved the more English names, which were just of kind of like tossers when I grew up. The names that sound exotic, Sebastian, Jasper, to the American ear, all just total knobs. So we have very different tastes. I wanted to do like Wayne, Tony, that kind of thing. And whenever we had a baby, we came up with the top names. And I'd secretly take them to a mate of mine, Eddie who's a multilingual gent. He speaks like a dozen languages. And I'd tell him the names that we were favoring. And he'd say, he'd write them down. Then he'd call me back the next day within 24 hours. And he would, I don't know what process or scheme he used, but he would tell me if there was any possible way in any language that he knew that the names we favored could be made fun of on a schoolyard. We did the, we did a similar thing. That is excellent. We did... Would you be comfortable screaming the name across the playground? And we tried to think of every nickname uh, another kid could tease our kid with. Yes, yes, you have to. That's the first step. And for me, the last step of great parenting. Like we wanted to call our, our second son Saul. But then Eddie called me back the next day in fear, panic in his voice. He said, if you live in England, which you might do, if you live near Manchester, a region where family use the word R ahead of their kid's name, like R Wayne or R Gary, then they're going to call your kid R Saul, which will sound just like arsehole. So he's like, do not call your kid Saul for that reason. My advice, Taylor, is everybody needs an Eddie. For now, let me be your Eddie. Oh, and I'm going to give you a couple of names for the years to come. Zidane, I want to tell you, is a beautiful name. Go for it. And another great player that will work in St. Louis is Hendo. Always get in any language, Hendo is just a revered and beautiful name that is admired in every language all over the globe. Failing that, Taylor, the greatest gift I can give you is Nigel. The world needs more Nigels. Okay. <laughs> What's your last name, Taylor? Landisman. Oh, Marianne Nigel Landisman. It's got a beautiful ring about it. Beautiful. Courage. Taylor, what a joy to speak to you in St. Louis, to you, your family, to life, to love, to all of you having babies in this pandemic. You are a light in the darkness. Just make sure they all grew up to be Everton fans and you're doing parenting right. One last question, please. Hey, Raj. My name is Luke, a longtime GFOP from Philadelphia and Arsenal fan who just turned 22 on Monday, which, according to my calculations, means I've been listening to your crap since I was 14, almost a third of my life. Ugh. I've taken your advice, and I've done some reflective writing in the build-up to my upcoming college graduation this Sunday. And I have to say, I keep wanting to use the word bloody in my descriptions of my childhood memories. As an American, I feel guilty stealing this incredibly English word, and I'm so jealous that the British get to use that word. My question to you is, what American word can be used to replicate and replace the unique meaning of bloody as I write about my childhood trauma associated with waking up at the crack of dawn to watch my beloved Arsenal repeatedly lose 5-0 to a top-six side? 
Ugh, not in the face. Courage. Luke. Oh, I miss Philadelphia. One of these days, I am planning to jump in the car and just drive down to South Street, oh, buy a cheesesteak from Jim's, and then just drive home. I know the feeling you're articulating. It's called language envy. Uh, I've been watching Normal People on Hulu, which is pretty much just 72% witnessing Irish people have sex, but the soundtrack's amazing. And what keeps me watching is the lead character, an actor, Paul Meskell, he's got all of these Irish verbal repetitions. They're magnificent. He says, like, sound, right, grand. And he murmurs them all in just oh, such magical fashion they all sound ridiculous as you've just heard coming out of my mouth but i realize i love them as much as you love the word bloody i mean brad friedel purchased a fake english accent just so he could use the word bloody properly and arsenal roaring back into deeply mediocre disappointing action oh made for that adjective you know i got a gloating text yesterday from my mate huge gunner michael cohen who baited me when Arsenal beat City, or as he said, when Arsenal beat City on that first day back. Liverpool, he said, will win the title against Everton. Your life in my hands, he wrote. To which I, I shut him up by responding, what is the darkest moment you've ever had as an Arsenal fan? And he ruefully replied, all caps, oh God, just one which is the play of an Arsenal fan. Though, to be honest, not Arsenal as much, but my heart breaks for all the relegation-threatened teams battling it out over the moon door of relegation that we used to think was so important. You know, Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth, hope the Cherries, Watford, West Ham. Oh, all of you, especially you Villa fans, after the news yesterday of Dean Smith, the manager's dad's passing due to coronavirus. Dean Smith, I loved speaking to him earlier this season. He taught with such joy about his dad being a steward at Villa Park, cleaning the steps of Villa Park, and then the feelings his dad experienced when he, Dean Smith, led Mighty Villa back to the Premier League promised land. Such is life, and my heart is with Dean and the whole Smith family over these next few long weeks. But the reality is... Relegation just, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't feel like that big a deal anymore, especially after this week of such extreme emotions. You know, there have been, there've been occasional moments when I've read the news and wept with joy. And there's been many, many more when I've experienced tears of rage, frustration and despair. And at the beginning of lockdown, I've worked so hard. We've talked about this. We've worked so hard to try and build structure, try and actively, consciously think about finding a balance between work and family, between creativity, output and rest, mental acuity and physical ability. And I've come to realise there's actually something far more critical that I need to be working on, to be working on actively, thoughtfully, consciously, which is tending to my levels of compassion of empathy and love. Those, those are the qualities that will empower us to get through this together. Compassion, empathy and love, especially now. For it's when we're fatigued, that's exactly the time 
that we have to care the most. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, let me leave you with one song, which is guaranteed to lift your spirit. Courage, America. (laughs) 